fighting spirit. I love it. Yeah, let's go. TBF. What did we have? TBE before? You know, you know, we, 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 we TBF. Throwback fighters. Let that one ring bells. Let it marinate. That's what we're coming for now. Throwback fighters. 2201. Second to no one. Stay home. And welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where finally, after 19 years, whatever it is, we get to find out who's the better man, Amir Khan or Kelbrook. We, we have an event, probably the biggest boxing event for me since Frotch Groves. Now, arguably, there's, there's Joshua versus Klitschko, but that was manufactured. This is organic. You know, this has been, this is the fighters doing the work. This is the, the teams of Amir Khan and Kel Brook doing the work. This is Sky Sports doing the work. And what it's meant is a fight that we all felt past the sell-by date suddenly has meaning again. And as fans, all we want are meaningful fights, right? So we're almost being given, we're being gifted an event. We're being gifted an occasion. And by the grace of God, Sky have delivered once again. But let's, let's really delve into that, that notion of a rivalry. The great rivalries you can't manufacture because there's always a question at the heart of every great rivalry. There's a question, who's better? Yeah, it's not, it's not necessarily who's better across the eras that we understand that you're never gonna get a great answer to that. So let's, let's just pick examples out of the air. Joe Frazier versus Muhammad Ali. What made that rivalry? It was that Ali had never lost the belt in the ring. And people looked at Frazier and said, if Ali came back, he'd whoop you. And Frazier had that for, for the early part of his title reign. He had that where it was, I think Ali will whoop you. Yeah, yeah, he'll definitely whoop you. You can't whoop him. You didn't win this belt off the champion. And so that ate away at Frazier. And, it, you know, he said, I want to fight Muhammad Ali. And he did all he could to engineer a situation where he could fight Muhammad Ali. And they gave us three compelling fights, two great fights and, you know, one that was okay, but it wasn't to the level of the other two. Then what you saw there was just a simple question. Who's the better man between me and you? And both men took that seriously because, well, Ali, 1960 gold medalist, Frazier, 1964 gold medalist. It was a valid question to ask. If you look at Mike Tyson versus Evander Holyfield, came up together in that, in that sort of USA amateur system in the early 80s, right? Mike never qualified for the Olympics, Evander did. Mike thought he was better than Evander, Evander thought he was better than Mike. Mike built his career on trying to prove everyone wrong. And Evander built his career on saying, I'm gonna to get to Mike eventually, and we're gonna find out who the better man is. And so that's how you're able to build that elaborate story that led to, to two great and drama-filled fights between uh, Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. You look domestically. 
Joe Calzaghe versus Robin Reed. Were they rivals? 100% because Joe thought he should have gone to the Olympics instead of Robin Reed. So who was the better man there? And when they met, eventually the fight lived up to expectations. People think Robin was robbed. People think Joe got a fair result. Are they still rivals now? Absolutely. And they're rivals in a way that Joe Calzaghe and Carl Froch can never be. Because we never really had that question that early into their careers because they're different generations. And even just staying even closer to home, George Groves versus James DeGale. It wasn't who's the better man in the division. It was who's the better man in this gym. Who's the better fighter in this weight class? Now, just not even gym, weight class. You're 75 kilo, I'm 75 kilo. Who's the better man? And James showed what he could do being the older guy. He was first out. But George said, look, he's never been better than me. How has he gone to the Olympics and I haven't? Where's the justice in that? So much like Cal Brook and Amir Khan, George has had to look on while James has flown. And all George is determined to do was to say, I'm going to prove I'm better than him. And so when they fought early in their careers, what happened? George proved he was the better man that night. And so that rivalry is always simmered on because James never got his chance at redemption. Could you put those two in a pub to have a conversation? Nah. Will you ever be able to? I don't think so. Could you put Robin Reed and Calzaghe in there to have a conversation? Maybe. But these rivalries are special because it's personal. By the time they fight, your hopes and dreams, your life's hopes and dreams are tied into this. The mistake we've made is we've, we've not looked for these natural rivalries. We haven't looked for the, the Zach Chelly versus Jermaine Brown rival. We, we haven't looked for these. And when people say, what's that rivalry about? ABA's 2016. Who should have represented Fitzroy Lodge? We don't build on these rivalries. We try and manufacture rivalries. I just thought just one that pops into my mind that's also equally as real. Dillian White versus Anthony Joshua. Dillian thought Joshua was all hype back in 2008, 2009. And they fought. And Dillian did what he did. And that, that burnt Joshua. And Joshua was looking for his chance at redemption. And as soon as he could, what did he do? He sought redemption. And now as Dillian's improved and Dillian's become more popular, more marketable... It sits in the back of his head. I'll fight Joshua anytime. Anytime. You can't manufacture that. None of these rivalries, you, you can't manufacture anything in these rivalries. Nothing. It's what makes boxing so compelling. That we only get one or two opportunities to see them. We don't get five games between these two guys to see. We don't get that, like football, like rugby. Or we get it every year. We don't get that. When the stars align, we get something special. And that's what you've got with Kelbrook and Amir Khan. Because there's no question in, in any other era, if it happened now, Kel would be an Olympian, Amir would be an Olympian. There's not much between them. From a, from a young age, there wasn't much between them. Amir Khan... Amir Khan flipped from junior to senior pretty quick. Remember, he won a gold medal at 17. Yeah. So he was still technically a junior. He technically hadn't had a senior bout. 
That's crazy, isn't it? He hadn't had a senior bout. And then he goes and does all those things as an amateur, as a 17-year-old. Impressive. Was Kel that far behind? No. But Kel seemed to get blocked by other, other people who seemed to have more political pull. Uh, your Joe Selkirks, your Glenn Foots, those sort of guys that were around in, in that era. And am I saying that in a bad way? No. Joe Selkirk was a talented amateur. Unlucky in his pro career. You know, based on ability, he should have done a lot more, but injuries can catch up with you. Glenn Foote, people have their own opinions on his career, but as an amateur, he was up there. And so when you look at that and you look at what Kel's got on to achieve, you almost ask yourself, how the hell did Kel not get more representative honours for Great Britain? And one of the answers is actually as simple as a lot of the tournaments GB were entering didn't have light welterweight. It went from lightweight to welterweight. And Kel couldn't make 60 kilos. And at 69, especially at the age he was, he'd have been massively underpowered. So 64 was a sweet spot where he had to make something happen. And it didn't look like there were many tournaments that facilitated that at, you know, around 2004. Uh, yeah, first half of 2004. So he wasn't able to qualify for the Olympics. But there's a deeper reason. And I think I only know this as a legacy of having been in St. Thomas's gym or the Ingle gym, as you guys know it as, and been around the guys. The ABA had almost blacklisted the Ingle gym. They just, they, they weren't going to put Ingle fighters through for the Olympics. And this was just accepted. That they were treated like an outlaw club. And there were a number of reasons for this. One of the chief ones was, there was no separation between amateur and pro. And to the old school suits of the Amateur Boxing Association, that was criminal. It's even, I think it's one of the regulations now. If you're a pro gym and you want an amateur setup, you need to have a separate building. The Peacock had to do that. That's insane, isn't it? That because the Ingle gym had pros and amateurs training together, they were looked down on. But look at what that model delivered. It was a model that for a decade worked flawlessly and elevated Brendan Ingle to probably the greatest trainer Britain's seen. And I would go as far as to say Brendan Ingle's a Hall of Fame trainer. So you've got this rivalry where Amir Khan, 17 years old, silver medal, national hero, national hero, Audley won gold as a mature man. Amir did this as a young boy, a young Pakistani boy. All of a sudden, he, he changed that discussion around can young South Asian lads box, can young South Asian women box. He moved that discussion on single-handedly. Then he became the most valuable commodity in British boxing. More valuable at that time than David Hay. He was special at that time. And on the sidelines, Kel Brooks watching, going, I can beat this kid. I can beat him. He, he's not that special. I can beat him. And Kel's had to, had to dirt track it. He's on Hobson shows. He's on Alma Ingle shows up in, uh, I don't know, Worksop. He's on shows in Derby. He's boxing at the... Um, I don't know, Leeds United Supporters Club. 
He's boxing at Hillsborough in a leisure centre where I'd set my exams the year before and he's boxing on a David Hay undercard and he gets to see David Hay and Anthony Small and all of these guys. He gets to see all of these guys rise and here's Kelly in the background going, I'm better than all of these guys. I'm more talented than all of these guys. Just give me a platform and watch what I do. And so his career moved like ultra slow in obscurity, I, I, of Kel's first eight fights, I think I saw four. I went up to watch four of them. Because obviously I'd known him from the gym and I knew a few of the guys. And it was such a slow burning career because Kel wasn't obsessive about training. He wasn't obsessive about the life. He loved being in the gym. And this is what you find with some people. They love being in that gym because it's home to them. But the road running, the controlling your diet, the living that lifestyle that comes with being a professional fighter is something they're not that comfortable with because it's not really them. And that showed in Kel's career. He wasn't as switched on as he should have been. And he wasn't as driven as he should have been to achieve. And that came with a cost and he's paid it. So if you really look, Khan achieved so much so quickly, all the ups and downs, the, the losses, to Peterson, the losses to Brady's Prescott, the losses to Danny Garcia, the wins, all of that happened so fast. And he's being talked about in the same breath as Pacquiao and Mayweather. He got to spend time training with May, uh, Pacquiao. You know, he was there with Freddie Roach. He, he's had the cream of trainers. And Kel, steadfast, stuck to his Ingle roots, inched his way along. Wondering, when am I going to get my break? And it never looked like he'd get it. It always looked like he'd be that guy that would always say he could have been a world beater. And their relationship changed forever on that August day in 2014 when Kel Brook beat Sean Porter. See, because up until that point, Khan was in his rebuilding phase post Danny Garcia and working his way up to welterweight. And so he goes through... I can't remember the order it happens, but it's Calazo, it's Julio Diaz, and it's Carlos Molina, right? They're the guys he goes through. Underwhelming opposition considering Khan's talent, but you understand that he's, he's rebuilding, right? He's rebuilding. And he needs to get his confidence back and probably needs to work with some new trainers and whatever. But Cal kicks the chessboard up in the air when he beats Sean Porter, considering what Sean had done to Paulie Malinaji previously and the ease at which Kell Brook won that fight. It was, it was a comfortable 8-4 to Kell Brook. Suddenly, Kell's probably the second best welterweight in terms of status. After Mayweather, Kell's probably the second best welterweight because he's got the next most respected belt. Kell's now ahead of, for the first time, Kell's ahead of Amir Khan. And Khan can feel it. You know, you're fighting guys like Colazo. So what does Khan do? He steps it up and he fights Devin Alexander, the guy that Kel Brook should have fought for the IBF title. The guy that Kel's own promoter was saying was the hardest fight in the division for him. And Amir Khan obliterates him. Should the fight have happened at that point? 100%. After that Alexander fight, it should have been Khan versus Brook, in my opinion. That's when the fight would have been at its biggest commercially. But instead, Khan chose to chase Mayweather and Pacquiao. Guys who were never going to fight him, and definitely not after that Alexander fight, because 
it was such a one-sided whipping that you're almost like, even if I could stop this guy, it's not worth looking bad on TV just for the sake of Amir Khan. And he ain't going to do nothing for me that all these other guys in fighting won't do. And so Khan had those wilderness years fighting guys like Algieri while Kel Brook had Tenerife. And with that, all momentum went out of Kel Brook's career. All momentum. That was the one time Kel had a chance to demonstrate he was the number one. And he blew it. He blew it. And so when I look at tomorrow's fight, I ask myself, how bad does Kel really want this? Because at that moment when he should have wanted it more than anything else, your IBF champion, all you should care about is fighting the guys like Mayweather, Pacquiao and Khan. And you should be calling them out and you weren't. Instead, you went to Tenerife and whatever happened there, happened there. And that career was Frankie Gavin, Jojo Dan, all these sort of second-rate opponents. And that's a real tragedy and Kel will look at that with regret because I now look at it and I go, how hungry are you, Kel? You've talked a good game. You jumped in with Golovkin at the last minute because the money was good. You had to fight Errol Spence or lose your belt, so you've chose to fight him. These aren't fights you actively looked for. These aren't fights you actively chased. The only fight you've actively chased is Amir Khan. Never chased Mayweather, never chased Pacquiao. You chased Amir Khan. It's strange, isn't it? How the same promoter has Kel Brook just on a, a sing, singular focus that didn't fit Kel's agenda, but it, it fit the promoter's agenda, and he did the same with Dillian White. To the expense of their careers, because they could have had much better careers if they just taken better fights at the right time. So if you really look at Khan and Brooke, like the last time they were really ruling is probably 2014 to 2015. Everything after that's just been for money. Everything after 2014 has just been for money. And it's been sad to see. So we've had, people talk about it's five years too late. We've had probably seven or eight years of decline. But don't lose hope about this fight because this fight's essentially a playground fight. Two people who don't like each other. As soon as that final bell goes at 3.15, you know where they're going to meet. You, you go outside the gates, you walk down the hill, and there's a wreck. Go past the swings, go past the slide, that bit of grass where you normally play football, everyone's waiting for you. Today we find out who the best is. It's normally how it goes. And that's going to be tomorrow night in Manchester. The circle is formed. The ring is there. And we will find out once and for all who, who gets to live with the bragging rights because there will be no rematch. This sort of bitter rivalry should never have a rematch. It should be one and done because the stakes are so high. Anything beyond that is just a money grab. We won't feel the same way about the rematch. And so when you look at the fight, what are the key issues here? Let's look at the high-level questions. One, the most important question is how much of that old speed has Amir Khan got and how long can he sustain it for? If he can get within 85 to 90% of the Alexander speed and work rate, I think it's a horrible night for Kel. If he tries to sit and be patient and box, I think that's a disaster for Amir Khan, and here's why. When you're good like Khan, 
people fall in love with what you do. And so they don't teach you the fundamentals. And you know that your career is only as good as your, your athleticism and your reflexes. Amir Khan's career will always be the way it's been. He won't turn into a, a slick, clever inside fighter. He's not a guy that's going to old man you. He was never taught that. Same with Kel. Kel's always going to be about that solid one-two, the jab, the timing. Not much head movement, but great foot movement. But that comes from the reflexes. How much of that's left in Kel? How much of the punch resistance is left in Kel? You know, if you're Kel and you're, you're going into that fight, what are your tactics? What are you trying to do with Amir Khan? Honestly, I'm mauling him. That's what I'm doing. I am mauling him. I'm pushing him to the ropes and I'm just throwing combinations at him. I'm not, I'm not trying to outbox him. I'm like, listen, I'm an old man. I'm just going to plod forward and I'm going to pin you against the ropes, pin you in the corners and see how bad you want this fight. See if you're going to quit like you allegedly did against Crawford. That's, that's Brooks' only option. This idea that you're going to out, out-time him, you invite too much pressure from Khan. And if Khan builds up that confidence, it could be hard for Kel because every time Kel gets hit in the eye, he reacts. Almost as if like the, either the demons come back or there's still some residual pain there. And so... My hope for, for all of this, if I'm being honest, is it goes at least five rounds. If it's a one round blowout either way, it will be deflating. But if we get five intense rounds and then it goes whichever way it goes, that's all we need. Almost like, hey, Bell, you too. You had that decisive end. It didn't need to go the distance. Bang. We went home satisfied. If I'm Amir Khan, what am I going to do? I'm going to impose that speed immediately and let Kel know for the next 15 minutes he's not going to get a second to breathe. That's the most important thing he can do. I don't know how, how much he's got left in his legs, so you won't see the, the all action for three minutes of every round that you used to get with Khan, but you'll see it in crucial stages, the beginning of the round and the end of the round, I expect to see a lot of you know, the fast flurries that Khan's famous for, and then conserve energy by working around the ring in the middle. Meanwhile, Brooke will be trying to pin him down and hurt him because Brooke will fight with emotion. Be absolutely clear about this. Brooke will fight. And look out for Kel talking to Amir Khan. Look out for Kel taunting him, going, do you respect me now? That's what I expect to see. Do you respect me now? Am I good enough? Because that's all Kel wants. He either wants Amir to say, oh, look, mate, I respect you. God, you're a hell of a fighter. Or he wants that knockout. And he can go, I told you so. And that's all you'll ever have to do in his career. He can retire at that point. But this is going to be a fight that, if you look at the build-up, like the press conferences and the interviews, Khan is just pushing Kel's buttons. And he's playing a really good game of acting indifferent to what Kel's saying and what Kel feels. He's acting really indifferent. And I think that's a good tactic because what it does is it drives that emotional side of Kel even more. And come fight night, Kel's going to have to control that. Or he's going to make a lot of mistakes. Kel has to stay calm. The one thing I will say is when you get to the level those two guys are at, 
when the bell goes, all the bullshit goes. Yeah? Anything that's triggered in a fight from an emotional perspective will be triggered in that fight. If Amir knows how to push Kel's buttons, we'll see. Because that'll be interesting to just, and I hope Sky do this, mic up the ring properly so we can hear everything. Because I want to hear some of that stuff. I, I want to hear if Khan says, I mean, you're going to get chopped down like you did in Tenerife and all that sort of stuff. I want to hear where this goes to. Yeah, because it's an occasion. We want all. We will want all the details. We will want to drain down the details. We want to know how many punches were thrown. How many times did Khan move around the ring? We want to know everything. And with that considered, we need our Sky team. We need the OG Sky team. We need we need Froch in there. Right? There's no question about this. We need Carl Froch giving his views. We need Johnny being Johnny. And I think Johnny's been really good this week, actually, because Johnny's always been Kel's mentor. For as long as I've known about Johnny Nelson and Kel Brook, Johnny's always been that kind of big brother figure who has had to remind Kel on numerous occasions, you risk blowing it because you're not taking it seriously. Yeah? And he'd always say, look at what happened when I took boxing seriously. Everything changed for me. And Johnny's been in good form. And I think Johnny's been as balanced as he can be, considering his relationship with Kel. I think Adam Smith's been in good form. It, it's, it's been impressive to watch. Ben Shalom, lower profile, but when he's needed to talk, he's been good. Everyone's been good. And what, what's typified the build-up to this fight that I've really enjoyed? The load is spread. In the old days of Sky and Matchroom, there was one guy talking every time. And he wasn't just talking about his product. He was... He was shitting on everyone else's product, which is always annoying and it was bad for business. You look at Adam Smith now, showering praise and all the other brands and saying, look, we're in competition with everyone. So he hopes they do well and they'll do the best that they can. But Sky know that they're so far ahead right now that they can afford to do that. But it's refreshing. Yeah? It's refreshing to have professional boxing conducted in a professional way. And we've moved away from that whole school ground banter thing that was kind of, it was toxic. So I've really enjoyed the Sky build-up and the Sky coverage. Um, I'm going to tip my hat off to Umar Ahmed again. I think he's asked some of the best questions in 2022. And he's kept everyone on their toes. Whatever Coogan's paying him, you can double it and it's still underpaying him. Because he's essentially the voice of the brand now. We want Umar to ask these questions. But hands down, this is the best build-up in ages. It's refreshing. There's no real tension apart from the fighters. That's the only place I want tension. No, no one's really asking Adam Smith about purse bids. And no one's asking Adam Smith about proof of funds and have contracts been sent. You know, what role are you going to have? In no one's asking any of that nonsense that seemed to occupy a lot of people on Twitter. It's just boxing. And I'm enjoying this. We're not going to get many of these occasions, but as long as they're done this way when they come around, more than happy. And I'm, I'm more than happy if this is the direction that Sky are going, where we get these periodic occasions and then they're sort of buttressed either side by good quality Saturday night cards. I was going to jump in and curve everything for a second because I've just watched the, the weigh-in for Amir Khan versus Kell Brook. What I found really interesting is Khan doesn't look like he's had to strip down to make 147 or whatever it is, is a 149. He doesn't look like he's had to strip down. He still looked quite watery 
you know, because Khan's not a, he's not a big man at that weight. Whereas Kel, Kel looked like he had to really, really pull down. Like there's a definite size difference. So if there is a rehydration clause, that's going to be key because I don't know what Kel's going to come in at on fight night, but Kel will be the bigger man in that fight. There's no question about that. And I think that supports my idea that you're just going to have to walk the guy down. There's no point in trying to step back in time. You don't have the reflexes like you used to. You've just got to literally, behind the double jab, maul him. Behind that double jab continuously so Khan can't get his offense off. So it's going to be interesting. I, I quite like the tension because you can see Kel, Kel was bubbling over, probably bubbling over 24 hours too early, while Khan was, Khan was almost goading him. Because you can see what Khan's trying to do. Khan looks like he's just trying to drain that emotional energy from Kel. And the more that he can take in fight week, the less there is in fight night. And I think Kel needs to be careful about managing his energy in that sense. But it, like I said, one occasion looked packed, looked intense, the crowd was into it. And all I can say to you guys, being honest, go and enjoy it. Take it all in. Watch. If you want to pay for it, pay for it. However you've got to be, make sure you're involved. Live tweet. If you're there, send the pictures, share. Let's, let's, let's show out for boxing. Let's let people know that as boxing fans, we don't all have to be dicks. You know, we can just be proud of our sport. And when our elder statesmen come to blows, we can be good and civil about it. So let's, let's all be positive. Let's cheer that on. Let's really, really enjoy what is going to be a good, a hell of an occasion and event. Make sure you live tweet. I'll definitely be live tweeting, you know, inject some humor into it. And let's see how we end up. I'd normally sign off at that point, but... I think there's just a couple of things I'd like to touch on. One, if you can follow the story of Richard Lati, please do, because what a fascinating year and a half it seems that he's had. So we all know Richard Lati is the guy that Daniel Dubois beat. Remember when he had the Abel Xavier beard? And then I think Nathan Gorman's fought him and I think Fabio Wardley fought him as well. So he wasn't meant to fight Fabio Wardley. He got banned by the Ghana Boxing Association because he forged the paperwork to get the Wardley fight. His argument back is he gave them $5,000. But they banned him, right? So then he takes out a Tanzanian boxing license to go and box in Russia against an MMA guy. I think his surname's Edilov, right? If you can find the clip on, on Twitter, it's there. He fights the guy Edilov. Edlov hits him with a combination that didn't look painful and Lati throws himself to the floor. What I found really interesting having watched that clip was he fell in an identical way against Fabio Wardley. Now I have, I have to go back and watch the Dubois one and the Gorman one but it was identical. I don't think Wardley or Edlov are to blame. I don't think they were aware but just watching what Richard Lati did it did look like he threw the fight. And if that's true, then people need to investigate this because this is disgusting. And this attacks the integrity of our sport of boxing. Because what you're doing potentially is giving someone like a Fabio Wardley a false sense of confidence in their punching power. And when they fight someone who's prepared to fight back, it's a different picture. But if you can get hold of that, please, by all means, you know, compare the, the knockdowns and just see. It, it, it looks too theatrical to be true. And I think I said it after the Wardley fight. It looked like he threw himself down. So I think it's just worth having a look at that. Um, Touching Rob Tebbett quickly. So I hear Rob Tebbett's left Boxing Social. Now, 
I don't particularly like Rob. I don't think he's a fantastic human being. But here's the truth. He's, he's a father and he's a partner. And I don't know to what extent his income goes to feed them. But if it does and he's lost his income, then yeah, I feel for him. I always feel for someone that loses their income because we're on here to make boxing content. We're not here to end people's lives. Do you know what I mean? We're not, it's not that deep. So all I can say is I hope, he, I hope he discovers some integrity as a man, but I also hope he finds another source of income and that he's able to feed his family because really when it's all said and done, they're the important things. Now, people want me to touch on Danny Connor after I released a video of him getting, getting a right hook to forget it and running away like a little girl. But I'm not going to, and here's why. I don't like Danny, and I, I admit that. I don't like him. I think he's a scumbag. I think he's the kind of person who he either ass licks you or he shits on you, depending on where you are in his life. And I've, I've been on both sides of that spectrum for him. I just know that when you're a professional boxer, you've been telling people on your building site you're a professional boxer, and a guy hits you, doesn't even hit you clean. The instant you don't stand up for yourself, the instant you cover up and you adopt the fetal position while standing up and then you run like a bat out of hell, I can't have a problem with you because you're not a man on my level. I don't think many people listening to this pod would have run away from that sort of conflict. You'd have at least taken your beating or had to go back. But to watch him capitulate and when he was offered a chance to actually have a proper straightener, he didn't. And then to go and dirty up the guy's name on social media by lying about him, it reveals everything about Danny Connor. When it suits him, he'll lie about you. He's lied about me. He's disrespected me. He's made fun of albinism to me. Him and Sonny Edwards are both in that camp. It's not worth my while to smash him in the face. Like, I don't go hunting for people like that. It's, it's infantile. But what you have with guys like him, and you get a lot of these people in boxing, they talk tough, yeah? And they prey on the fact that you're assuming because he's a boxer, he's this guy that will do a lot of damage to you. They're little rats. Don't let a boxer intimidate you. Not online, not in person. Stand up to them and watch how quickly all that front fades away. Boxing is a sport of habit. Once you've done it long enough, you're used to it. It doesn't require bravery past a certain point. It just requires that you show up. What requires bravery is dealing with unstructured and uncomfortable situations. And when Danny was faced with one, he ran. That's the man that he is. Remember that. Next time you see someone attacking you on social media, remember, these, these guys don't have the character. Dan Aziz would never have run. Denzel Bentley would never run. Danny Connor ran. His first instinct was to run. And the beautiful thing was he didn't even know he was being filmed. Because if he had known, he would have tried to be slick and save face. But when he didn't know the camera was there, you saw the real Danny Connor. You saw the real Danny Connor. So all of you guys out there, just say, Danny, can you post a video of you getting filled in, please? Because I think he should do that. He should show that video of himself getting filled in and say, this is who I really am. No more Mr. Tough Guy. Just be who you are. It's okay. And on that note, I'll sign off and say, listen, guys, have a great weekend. Enjoy Khan Brook. Remember, live tweet, make it funny, make it insightful, make it cutting if you need to. 
and let's pray that we get more than five rounds of this fight guys you take care and have a great weekend bye have been fighting for 400 years. Man, your people's too. So I just want you to explain what you mean too. by that. You know what I'm talking about. Y'all all know what I'm talking about, man. Don't sit up here and try to bait and not know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what the fuck I talk about when I say these things. Your people too. Explain it. I, I not everybody knows what you're talking understood. about. Radio Raheem, I don't have to explain what's understood, man. You know what I mean by that. You know what I said by that. I ain't got to go farther. And if nobody, if anybody don't understand that, then God be with them. Go look up the history. Go look up the history. Shit, ain't, don't everybody believe in Google? Go Google that shit. See what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, man. You know what, I dare you to sit up there and say, explain, you know what I'm talking about, man. His fighting people. You know we've been fighting 400 and still fighting to this day. To this day. To this day. You just sit here and you don't know what I'm talking about? Man, I'm out of here, bro. Let's go. Let's go, man.